Hey, Kitty. Hey, Ben. Have you seen this article uh, that Microsoft posted on facial recognition? I did because I sent it to you. Oh, <laughs> you did, didn't you? <laughs> but for the sake of stagecraft, no, tell me more. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, let's talk about it in just a moment. You're listening to Linear Digressions. You're, you're not a very good actor, Katie. I'm not. Actress. I'm really not. Not very convincing. Yeah, this is a pretty cool article that you sent me that Microsoft put out. And what it seems to be saying is that the technology has, um, has gotten to a point where we need to stop talking about what can be done with the technology and start actually putting um, some limitations on the way that facial recognition can be used, uh, with the argument being that if we don't, then it will be used for nefarious purposes. Yeah, nefarious purposes, or just even even um, with good intentions can be used in overreaching ways. And it's a lot harder to pull that behavior back than it is to um, set limitations up before we get to that point. Uh, yeah, no, I think so. This is an article that was um, published under uh, with the, the nominal author being the president of Microsoft. Uh, my, my <laughs> the guess president is, of the United States. <laughs> no, uh, my guess is that you know there were there were more than just him that was involved in drafting it. But ghostwriters, uh, yeah, or the legal department or something. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting article. It's not a particularly technical one, but rather it's more of a sociological one or even a legal one, more of a legal yeah. one than anything else. And the premise of the argument is. I'm paraphrasing heavily here, but regulate us, which you don't hear coming out of tech companies very often. Yeah, that's true. Which is why it's a little interesting. You know, if I hadn't noticed that this was written by uh, people at Microsoft, I could have imagined this is uh, this could be a New York Times think piece, or this could be, you know, uh, a lot of different agencies. The EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, could have written this. But but yeah, it's it's a tech company saying, hey, uh, we we need regulation. There needs to be regulation in this space. And I think one of the incentives uh, for a tech company who is playing in this space, Microsoft, to say something like that is that regulation. So self-regulation comes to some degree at the expense of your ability to compete in a free market. Right. But if you have governmental regulation uh, or uh, some sort of regulation that applies to everyone within a space, then your incentives become a little bit uh, simpler and cleaner. You don't have companies with perhaps a worse moral compass ending up with a competitive advantage. Yeah, I mean, I think the incentives question is such an interesting one. I think we should summarize the article real quickly before oh, yeah, we start sure. to... Um speculate as to you know the surface reasons and if we think that there's anything else that's worth considering here yeah um, let's so, dive in yeah so microsoft is talking about facial recognition software in particular so this is a very very fairly specific slice of technology that of course microsoft being a big tech company has products that use facial recognition or that have components of that that capability in them um, potentially would be building out many more in the years to come so as they're talking about 
restrictions that should be placed on this type of technology or, or limits on its use, they are effectively asking for regulation of themselves, uh, as well as their colleagues and competitors and whatnot, the other people who are participating in this space. So as I said, that's a little bit interesting. That's not something that you typically see. Yeah. I also want to say that it's nice to see kind of a sober account of a technology. Like usually you see much more idealistic approaches that are um, being written about. Like actually one of the things in the articles, it talks about some of the benefits of using facial recognition and some of the positive ways that it's been rolled out. Like, for example, one of the sentences is police in New Delhi recently trialed facial recognition technology and identified almost 3000 missing children in four days. Like that's an incredible success story. And there, there are a number of them here in the article. But it's also nice to, to see that good news being taken with a grain of salt by talking about uh, the ways that this could be misused. Right. So we should talk about what those are at a fairly high level. And in particular, as I was reading this, you know, I think there's kind of two premises here that are worth detangling a little bit. One is, are we generally sitting here and thinking they're making a good case that this technology is could be a little bit dangerous or, you know, not always excellent if it's deployed with ill intent or just sometimes not carefully. So there's the issue of the technology itself, just like, do we think that this stuff is unequivocally always good or always bad? And that that's, that's one set of maybe decisions that you have to make. And I think in general, you know, we can discuss it a little bit more, but in general, I think most people would agree that there's good parts and bad parts of it. And that, you know, ideally we get more of the good and less of the bad and but the second part of that, the more controversial part, I think, is, okay, well, so how? If we want to have more of the good and less of the bad, the premise of this article is that Microsoft is specifically advocating for a legislative approach that's going to be taken by presumably primarily the government of the United States, but you know, it could happen more on you know internationally or at the state level as well. Um, And that is a more, I think that is a more provocative claim. That is a more controversial claim. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, sure, we all want to have the good stuff and not the bad stuff. But should that be done via legislation is something that, you know, many more people might have questions about. So I thought that those two things, I think, are worth considering separately in certain cases. Um, So first, they talk about Uh, several different, like you said, uh, several different positive use cases of facial recognition technology. You know, this is not something that's unequivocally bad. Uh, Of course, Microsoft probably makes a lot of money from this, as do their competitors. But then they go into three specific types of problematic use cases or situations that they think should be addressed with legislation and make the case for legislation in, in each of those circumstances. So just to go through those real quickly, and then we can dig into them a little more if you'd like. Uh, The first case is around bias and discrimination, that sometimes this technology can cause or exacerbate or certainly not ameliorate biases that exist in society, and that that can be, in general, something that we, we don't want our computer vision programs to be racist. I'm paraphrasing right. heavily. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so if they are, that's 
not ideal. Uh, the second one is around privacy and that if computer vision programs are being used to recognize individuals as they are out and about in ways, especially ways that they don't know about or that they haven't approved, that that is problematic. And then the third one is around democracy and human rights. They kind of that privacy argument taken to a very large scale and or being done systematically by government entities is particularly problematic for stuff like democracy and the ability mm -hmm. to freely discuss and freely assemble and that that should be taken seriously as well. So should we dive into those three uh, before we kind of take a, a zoom back? Yeah, that sounds great. So first up is bias and discrimination. Right. And, and we're going to kind of zoom through all of this. This is actually quite a lengthy article and it's a very good read. It's very accessible. So if you want to if you want to zoom into any of these pieces a bit more, at least I would say I highly recommend reading it. Uh, I don't know. We'll have a link. It, yeah. Yeah. No, I think it, I thought it was really good. Um, we'll have a link on lineardigressions.com as, as always. Yeah. So uh, the, the, I guess, summary there of what they suggest for um, bias and discrimination are kind of two things. One is requiring transparency. So, if you have um, Acme Company, which is implemented facial recognition services, then Acme Company should be required by law to say, "Hey, we have we have shown that, or we have tested that our facial recognition services um, have these capabilities and these limitations, and this should all be in terms that the consumers and customers can understand." Uh, so no legalese, no not much technical jargon. Basically, like our facial recognition service works in these ways, has these limitations, and we're aware of these things. And then um, the second piece is enabling third-party testing. So, you know, Acme Company says, yeah, our facial recognition systems work, but they should also be required by uh, some law to have independent third parties be able to be able to test their services independently, uh, verifiably without bias and say like, Hey, you know, these, this implementation is actually really good in terms of accuracy or doesn't have much unfair bias or any of these various things. Yeah. And so the thing that I thought was kind of interesting about these arguments is not exactly that they're going to solve every problem. Um, but instead, if you're, you know, a person who thinks a lot about what should be legislated versus stuff like, well, shouldn't this be taken care of by the free market? So if there's a, a company that's putting out some kind of facial recognition technology that has a discrimination problem, like, shouldn't people eventually that product won't work as well as its competitors? And then, it, you know, people will use the competitors instead and the free market will take care of that. And to a certain extent, I think that that's, that's a reasonable counter argument to make. But the specific argument here is that the free market is not quite functioning as smoothly as it needs to for that kind of mechanism to take place. So if you think about other types of products, so if I were going to, say, buy a new washing machine, this was something that I did about a year ago, uh -huh. I spent or not me, more to the point, my husband, because he's better at this stuff than I am, spent a bunch of time on 
consumer reports reading up about all the different kinds of washing machines oh yeah and learning about the things that make a washing machine good or bad which <laughs> I, I guess had never none known of about. you are qualified to review washing machines and you only need to do this once every i don't know 20 years 10 years i hope 20 years but yeah. 30 um, years <laughs> um i'm not i'm not banking on my washing machine lasting for 30 years but anyway the point is that there's uh, you know, there's a very specific service that Consumer Reports plays here, which is that they sort of define a testing protocol for washing right. machines. They help me understand what are the things that are that I might care about in a washing machine. These were some of these were things that I never even really thought about. Like, there are certain types of washing machines that are more or less likely to kind of rip up your clothes after a while, or some of them are really loud, or some of them don't get your clothes as clean in ways I don't really understand. Um, but these are all things that they can test for and that I had never would have even thought to, in some cases, ask. Right. And so what, what they do there is they're defining sort of those standards. They can go out and buy one of each of these washing machines. They wash a hundred loads of clothes in it. It's a pretty intensive process, but I am the beneficiary then of this nice write-up that they produce at the end of it. And I can take all of that information and I can go vote with my wallet. And so that last piece, that's the market piece. The only reason that that works and that I'm not spending my money on a bad washing machine is because there's all of this stuff that happened up front that got me the information that I needed to make an informed decision. And so I'm paraphrasing and in some cases interpolating the argument a little bit here for Microsoft, but what they're saying is that the reason that you need legislation in this particular case is not because it's going to make all of these programs work better. That's not something that legislation can do. But one thing that it can do is require you to report in a standardized way how your algorithm compares against everybody else's in these right. agreed upon ways. And that that allows the those market forces to sort out the winners from the losers. That makes a lot of sense. So this is basically the the by law this needs to be consumer report consumers reportable. I mean, yeah, which is sense. which is yeah. not crazy. I mean, there are there are definitely types of products that have pretty strict legal requirements about yeah. this type of stuff happening, like when. The most obvious one I could think of, and this is, you know, not not a totally fair comparison, but it's like new medical devices and procedures and and treatments. You know, those have to go through a really rigorous screening process in order to be approved. Yeah, I mean, because those can kill people. Yeah, but I guess so. Right now, like facial recognition (laughs) is like probably mostly not killing people, but you could imagine that in certain situations. You know, it it could be having a really big impact on people's lives yeah. depending on how it's being used. And so, I mean, this this whole category is called bias and discrimination. So, yeah, I, I can see how that would work. Yeah. So, you know, as as you mentioned before, um, Microsoft's argument in some of these cases is not is not always necessarily that they're trying to put a genie back in a bottle, but that yeah. it's easier to make some of these adjustments now before the technology has gone, you know, totally infiltrated the mainstream. And so get out in front of it now, basically, is, is what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The other uh, two things that they bring up are uh, ensuring meaningful human review. So 
for certain high stakes scenarios, there needs to be a way to take a decision that a machine made and do a human review on it. Because just frankly, humans have more context than machines really ever can, or at least anytime soon. And then yeah. the, the other... Oh, let me sorry, jump in sorry, on that real... On. Yeah, let me jump in on that real quick, because I think there was one particular... I don't, I don't know if there was like a phrase exactly, but I think one of the things they were trying to communicate here too is that sometimes these technologies are developed you know, kind of in a test tube, metaphorically yeah. speaking, um, where they're making a bunch of assumptions about who's going to be using this technology and how. And then when the technology gets used, it's very often, you know, in some kind of application or some kind of context. And that the combination of the algorithm plus the context could make certain flaws of the algorithm particularly bad in a way that don't stand out if you're testing it in the lab. So that's why that additional layer is there. It's, you know, a little bit like an institutional review board of sorts for right. for certain types of applications. Not Probably not every application, but those that have, you know, are making big decisions about people's lives that a human should be reviewing those decisions and they should be reviewing them within context and just saying like, okay, this algorithm passes some accuracy threshold or something isn't necessarily enough when it's devoid of any surrounding information about what decision it's making. Yeah, absolutely. And another way of saying that is the only real reason that that a lot of problems are um, tenable or, or solvable is that we solve them within a set of constraints. And those constraints are kind of the assumptions, right, that you make, that the algorithm you're developing or the product you're making or the, the whatever you're whatevering will be used in this particular context. And then if you see it used outside of that context or your use case, and there's a use case that you don't foresee, then you kind of end up in this situation where your test tube application gets into the real world and it turns out that there are other variables that you didn't imagine. Yeah, totally. Okay, what was the next one? Um, I'm just going to read this sentence because it can say it more succinctly than I can. <laughs> it says, uh, finally, it's important for the entities that deploy facial recognition services to recognize that they are not absolved of their obligation to comply with laws prohibiting discrimination against individual consumers or groups of consumers. So basically, just because you made a facial recognition algorithm and it's doing something wrong, that doesn't mean that you're in the clear. Right. Like you are responsible for what your algorithm does. And, and that's a very, that would be a very strong legal incentive to um, make sure that companies do more extensive testing than maybe just a free market on its own would incentivize them to do. Sure. Cool. So that is bias and discrimination. I think that was a pretty good summary. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest section too. But we should move on and talk about privacy now. Yeah. So when they're talking about privacy, there's a little bit of figuring out that I had to do initially to try to figure out what they meant. Not that privacy is totally vague, but it just sometimes means different things to different people. And so I think the the type of use case here that they might have in mind is imagine that you're walking around a you're walking around a mall and there's a bunch of cameras and they're following you and they use facial recognition to figure out who you are and moreover they're tracking you as you walk from store to store and you look at a bunch of stuff and maybe they're selling that information to advertisers who are then looking at the stuff that you're kind of checking out as you go 
and they send ads to your phone to try to sell you the stuff they think you're interested in. I don't know. This is the kind of thing that is totally conceivable and also makes most people feel kind of gross. Yeah. Um, But it's not strictly illegal right now. And so the first part of this argument that Microsoft was making was just establishing sort of the legal idea and some of the existing precedent, legal precedent around the idea that in certain situations you have a right to privacy and that there's support for that in in the case law, basically, that the Supreme Court has ruled on this in several different ways at several different points. I'm sure there's, you know, there's also, of course, limits to this, but that just in general, the idea that legislation should be involved in protecting your privacy is not something that might be prima facie obvious, but the courts have ruled to that effect in the past, I guess. Um, And so the specific suggestions that they make in terms of what kinds of changes they want to see is that, uh, again, people should be informed about what this technology is doing and should have some ability to consent or not consent to that use. So specifically, their, their suggestion is that in situations where entities are using this facial recognition technology to identify consumers, which is the most obvious use case, then there should be conspicuous notice that you know that that's being used in that place and in that way. So oh, if interesting. I, so that way you as the consumer have the expectation. Yes. That, you know, if I am on uh, camera at the checkout and that there is a sign there that says you are on camera and smile, you're on you know, camera. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that moreover, maybe there's more specific language that would be attached to that. I know that it's not just for, you know, to make sure I'm not stealing stuff, but that it's maybe yeah. explicitly saying like, hey, we're using facial recognition technology right now. And so that first part is is the notice. And then there's a second part of clarifying consent. And so in particular, it says the law should specify that consumers consent to the use of facial recognition services when they enter the premises or proceed to use online services that have this type of clear notice. So maybe there's a sign on the door at the mall that says, when you come and shop in this mall, we will be using this technology. And Mm. that by coming and shopping here, you're consenting to that if you don't want to consent to that that's fine um but you should come in you should leave yep Um, and it's yeah it's it feels like kind of the the real world analog of how when you go to websites now especially after gdpr there's like a thing that says that we use cookies and we're going to be tracking you all over the place and if you read this website you're consenting to the use of cookies Um, those always make me hungry (laughs) Um, and so nominally, I mean, like, I don't know how meaningful is the consent in those, in those cases, but like you have the chance to say no and you can close the tab and, and walk away and that there, there could, and they're arguing here that there should be an analog of that in real life situations where there's facial recognition technology being used. And although Microsoft is not making this case specifically, they do mention that, um, some groups, including consumer groups, would argue that actually the law should go further that if you have a camera that is set up to deter thieves or something like that then that you can only use that data in the case of theft you can't use that data for other purposes basically if you're going to use facial recognition for consumer tracking 
you need to say, hey, we're using facial recognition for consumer tracking. You can't just put up a camera, use it for whatever you want, and then put up a sign that says, hey, you're on camera, just FYI, and that's considered um, notice enough. Right. Although I'm sure, you know, these are just Microsoft's proposals for stuff, and that yes. I'm sure that if their choice was, you know, no sign whatsoever, which is kind of the standard right now, versus sign, but it doesn't have as much detail as you would like, they would still probably go for the sign. Yeah. Um, so let's bring it now to the third point, which was protecting democratic freedoms and human rights. Yeah, it's kind of a big topic. Sure is. Sure is. So I think of this as kind of the the generalization and the the large scale implication of those those privacy concerns, um, especially yeah. when there's government or law enforcement involved and they're using this facial recognition technology to surveil people, to track suspects in certain situations in the case of like law enforcement and generally keep tabs on the citizenry in a way that, well, it might not be realistic to think that this never happens. In fact, we might even want this to be happening in some cases if it has real positive impact on public safety. But that, of course, speaking here in America, we have pretty strong ideas about limits on what the government can and can't do about surveilling my speech or um, curtailing my right to free assembly, unreasonable search and seizure. These are all in the Bill of Rights. And that just because a computer is doing it doesn't mean that the Bill of Rights doesn't apply. This is an interesting one because... I feel like we see uh, from all of these different angles, different groups' forays into these areas. Like, for example, you look at a lot of uh, law enforcement uh, agencies, like uh, police departments, will have license plate trackers. And they'll use these license plate trackers to track down criminals or to, to figure out where cars have, have gone. And like, while that may be a noble cause, there have been cases, uh, quite a few cases, where this this has been used not just for that purpose. So that's not so great, you know? Facial recognition kind of takes it a step... Well, actually, sorry, uh, to add one more, your cell phone always knows where you are, right? And so we, we see these cases where the government uh, or different agencies will ask for cell records and then try to use locations. And generally, that's usually uh, with a warrant and all of this stuff. But the point is that in the first case, the car is being used as the proxy for your location. In the second case, it's, uh, it's a cell phone or a digital device. But with facial recognition, the, the proxy for your location is literally your face. Like, this is, this is the thing. This is where you actually are. So that that's a little it's a little frightening and it seems like it's important to have legislation that limits the use of these things much in the way that we have legislation that says no you can't just you know ask for someone's location data for their cell phone. Yeah, and I think that that's the that is the argument that I think they're making here is not necessarily that facial recognition is inherently dramatically worse than tracking your 
cell phone. I mean, if somebody knows where my cell phone is, they know where my face is. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> you know. And they, my <laughs> cell true. phone is just as fingerprinted to me as my as my face is. Um, yeah. But you know, there were there have been Supreme Court cases in the past, and that, that have specifically dealt with the issue of, say, for example, cell phone location data, and you know the. The police can't just go to the phone company and ask for that information. They have to go get a warrant, for example. And as part of that warrant process, you know, a judge looks at the data that they're asking for and makes sure that 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 is an appropriate, you know, sort of evidence collection procedure. They're not um, violating the the rights, hopefully, of of the people whose um, information they're collecting. There's this whole process in place for getting that data. And the argument that I that I believe Microsoft is making here is basically just because it's using facial recognition technology doesn't mean that there's a loophole and that you don't have to go through that process anymore. It's that you have to do that for the facial recognition stuff just like you would for other types of evidence collection. And that that, ex- with a couple of very specific exceptions, like if there's um, you know people who are in immediate danger or there's an immediate harm or, or risk to the public safety in the same way that, you know, in certain law enforcement cases, well, I don't know anything about the law, so I probably should speculate here, but like that there's, <laughs> there's, you know, maybe a different set of rules for when you think that there's someone who's in imminent danger than when there's in the course of a routine investigation. That's what I'm saying. So those same kind of caveats would apply here. And so it's effectively saying that this is, these are some of the checks and balances that we have placed on the government and on law enforcement in general, and just the way that they are expected to conduct themselves such that it protects certain freedoms that we think are really important, and that those expectations extend to this technology. Now, one thing is that this is a very US-centric explanation and the blog post itself is mostly dealing with where there's it's talking about case law and customs. It's mostly talking about the United States. And of course, there's lots of other countries where there's different expectations of these standards. It doesn't really get into those in much detail. I think some of those are frankly more interesting than what we have in the United States, precisely because we have in many cases some of these strong norms that make this seem obvious to us in ways that maybe it wouldn't be in other countries. But leaving that aside for a moment, um, that's the general, that's the general idea and the general position that Microsoft is taking is that the laws that we have around law enforcement in general should apply to their use of this technology. So with all of that out of the way, let's take just a couple minutes here because we're been going for a while. Um, yes, we have. And, and zoom back out. What what did you think as you were reading this? Were you generally, were you generally impressed and, and positive about this? Were there places where you were still rather skeptical or, well, yeah, skeptical is maybe a good word for it. What yeah. did you think of this? Yeah, I, um, I very much agree that, that we need some sort of, I don't know, I guess checks and balances on the way that this technology can be used, you know, limitations, something that something that disincentivizes companies in a capitalistic free market situation from, you know, bending ethics a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more to get a competitive edge. 
uh, a lot of these lines are just kind of fuzzy lines and you could imagine like you could walk right up to the line and decide not to go any further but because it's fuzzy someone else could go just a little bit further than you and the consumer wouldn't know the difference right so I, I think that's kind of where the the accountability and the visibility uh, pieces come in I do think that governments are slow legislation is slow a lot of this is actually by design in the way that we the way that uh, governmental systems are designed to avoid things changing incredibly fast in very short periods of time but that kind of bites you in the butt when you when you have a technological explosion with these crazy new technologies coming out and things are changing very very quickly and and the law ends up pretty far behind so I would like to see uh, tech companies kind of take the the lead, I guess, in this, in a sense. Like, there are some ways I think that tech companies could lead and then the law could follow. Like, one of the things I was thinking when I was reading this is, if the law can't do this quickly, perhaps the companies that control the operating systems of the devices could in some way, right? Some sort of a technical solution or... Uh, you know, perhaps Apple and, uh, or I should say iOS and Android, Apple and Google should reject apps that are not using the best facial recognition or are using facial recognition in kind of seedy, sketchy ways. Well, so let me actually, let me jump in there. Cause I think, you know, we didn't like, this is a section of the, the last part of the blog post that we get, didn't get all the way to. Yeah. Cause this is, this is Microsoft, right? This is a company that's on the same scale as Apple and Google and everybody else. Um, yeah. And so that is that is actually what they said they're planning to do. You know, they're saying this is stuff that we think is should be important to everyone, and we urge legislation because obviously that applies to everyone. But it sounds like they're also planning some initiatives the details of which I do not know, and I'm not sure that they are out yet as of the time that we are recording this. Um, but where Microsoft as a company is committing to making some policy adjustments to the way that they talk about their facial recognition technology in a way that is aligning with the points that they're making here. So I think the other way that you can that you can frame this is Microsoft is making some changes to their own policies to sort of self-regulate and they're right. trying to make the argument that everyone else should be held to the same standards that they are. I'm sure that they would be interested in feeling like there's a level playing field, but they're also big enough that they can act unilaterally, um, yeah, still definitely. probably maintain a some market leadership that they have just generally right now in the technical field. And so maybe this blog post is not, it's not them trying to, get everybody else to move on this stuff so yeah. much as they're, you know, they're moving on this stuff and they're trying to get everybody else to come along. Yeah. It seems like they're leading by example. I will say there are not many people who use the windows phone. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of people who use windows. Burn. Um, well, sorry. I mean, they, I think they even shut it down, didn't they? I, I think they shut down the windows phone department. In fairness, in this case. is, yeah, this is not the phone. This is their facial recognition, which might, Sounds yeah. like is doing fairly well, but I think well, that's you know that's the that's the the skeptics view of this, so the cynics view of this a little bit is that Microsoft thinks that this type of legislation would would give them some kind of advantage that they yeah. don't have right now. I think that's a little bit mitigated by them 
what I think what they're doing is taking some unilateral first actions here. But in terms of how much of a pat on the back I'm going to give them, a small one right now, I think that this is an important first step, but I'm going to be really curious to see. They said there's going to be some changes that they're going to be starting to implement in 2019, Q1 of 2019. Yeah. I'm really curious. Yeah, I'm really curious what this looks like. They say, like, okay, we want to be putting out reports about our facial recognition technology and its limitations. Like I'm, I'm genuinely very curious to see what those look like. I will yeah. be, give them a fair shake. I will not, I'll not sandbag for them, but I also, and I don't expect them to get it perfect right away, but I'm curious to see what it actually looks like. And, you know, I hope, I hope they figure it out, but I really want to see what it looks like in practice before I start drawing lots of very firm conclusions here. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I do want to come back just briefly uh, before we close to my operating system thought because I guess the way I was thinking of it is uh, obviously the law. Everyone has to follow the law. Of course, that's kind of complicated. You could make an app in some other country that has you know less stringent laws, and then you could distribute that app in countries where it can follow the less stringent laws. Uh, so, you know, law is one of those difficult things that kind of there there are country boundaries that affect the law. But there's another law. If you're making an app for a smartphone, you have to follow the law, the terms and conditions, the guidelines of the operating system of the of the platform that you're running on. So I guess I guess I was imagining like if you have all of the major makers of platforms implementing something to force all of the other developers who are making apps to follow these laws or some version of these laws. That's a different way that you could kind of enforce some of these restrictions and prevent agencies or or companies or apps from getting a competitive advantage by being a little bit ethically uh, tenuous. Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, would I rather have the law, laws, I don't know, rules, let's say. Would I rather have the rules being enforced by legislators or tech company executives? I don't know. I, mean, like, my, I, I my hope feel is like both. I have, I have, yeah, I was, well, I was going to say the cynical version of that, which is like, I feel equally powerless to, um, you know, <laughs> oh, no. really, really hit either of those groups where they hurt. I feel like, I guess, slightly more <laughs> democratically empowered than uh, capitalistically empowered in the sense that, you know, the biggest the biggest hit I can really deliver to Apple if I decide I don't like their corporate policies is to not buy their stuff, but I can yeah. go organize for opposition candidates in the case of elections. I don't know. Maybe I could organize opposition <laughs> to Apple, but that seems... I don't know, weird and yeah. remote in a way that doesn't for elective democracy. Anyway, well, I guess I guess I'm a little bit more hopeful than you, uh, in particular with large organizations, because I mean, here we have a large company, a large tech company, proactively. Like, I mean, they if they hadn't made this post, then nobody would be talking about how they didn't make this post. Just no one would have noticed, you know. So, Good point. I I I guess. I don't want to be too idealistic because I, I really, I believe it's easy to either be super cynical or super idealistic. 
and I, I think that maybe the truth is somewhere in between. But I, I think that I think that this idea would appeal to I don't know Mark Zuckerberg and Tim Cook and and I don't know what we'll say the leaders of all of the various companies that control the platforms. And my hope is that this is one of those things that everyone would kind of come together around because they see the greater good for society and they see that they disproportionately have an ability to shape it. I also think that definitely legislation should come in and I guess bolster that position because it's too easy for leadership in a large company to change. And then they decided, and then they, they decide, you know, we're going to go off and give ourselves a competitive advantage because the tides have changed for some reason especially if it's a company that starts not doing well. Uh, but I, I think both directions are useful and they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, I'll agree to that. I think I think the place where we landed there is then maybe the place where we thought we would land at the beginning where we said, you know, there's this, there's these issues that are becoming clearer and we are, we are increasingly arriving at some kind of agreement that there's, that can be a problem and that, somebody should do something the whole you know <laughs> yeah. who who should do what exactly is is where we always seem to get tripped up but i i do have to say yeah. i give i give microsoft some credit for being willing to come out with a with an opinion on this i think that's like harder to do than i've maybe in some cases given them credit for here in the last few minutes so um overall i'm glad that we had this wonderful talk topic to talk about for coming up a long time 45 minutes now yeah um, this might be our longest episode ever i don't know maybe so with that we will leave you go now that we've spent 45 minutes of your time making you think <laughs> about this stuff go read the blog post it's really excellent it's very well written and articulates itself somewhat better than than we did here and um you know give it give it some thought figure out what you think about this Check out our uh, companion podcasts, Legalese Digressions and Political Digressions. Uh, no, don't do that. Those don't exist. And they will never exist. Nope, sure won't. Okay, we're signing off. Bye. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.